Amen. Thank you all for being here as we have church on the grounds, as I like to call it. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness. Um, this morning in, in Sunday school, I was talking about baptism and, um, and the Lord's Supper. And in the midst of talking about that, just the reality that when, we, when, when the sacraments are present, um, the Lord promises to do a special work among us. And, and that's something that we, we look forward to and hope. And that's why whenever we do baptisms, it's such a special and glorious time in the life of the church because of the work of grace that we see happening before us. And I praise the Lord for that. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 and 13, 1 through 13 again. And uh, I'll try to be brief. I know you're in the sun and starting to heat up. And so... Um, but uh, if you remember last week, I talked about encouragement or discouragement and how Paul encourages us. And prayerfully, um, I could finish that up this week. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the living God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the steward of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone what bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. All flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it's true. Thank you that it's inerrant. And we thank you that it is food for our souls. And so now, um, join this word to the heart of your people. Encourage them amidst this time of discouragement. And we look to you and you alone to do it by your spirit. Holy Spirit, now come and do the work that only you can do in the hearts and minds of your people. And may they know that they have been with Jesus here today. 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you were not with us last week, or even if you were, you probably forgot, but I said the whole point of this passage in verse 1 through verse number 13 is verse number 13. Paul is talking to people who are hurting, who are broken, and who are discouraged. And everything that we read from verse 1 down to verse 12 is him trying to encourage them, trying to tell them something that would encourage their hearts. And so the point of this passage is that they might not lose heart. Literally what it means is to have your heart taken out of you because of circumstances and various things that are going on. Over the past two weeks, uh, the Lord has led me to take a deep dive into the topic of discouragement. And I couldn't stay there too long because obviously if you start looking into discouragement, you yourself begin to become discouraged. And so uh, I did, though, I, as I looked at different eras, uh, you know, obviously what the Bible has to say, I, I looked at um, writers from early church, I looked at writers from the Puritans, I looked at writers from different centuries, even up to our century, and you know what I realized? Discouragement is something that affects all of the church. There is no time in the history of the church that God's people didn't experience discouragement because of something that's going on. And there's many of you sitting down here today, you're probably thinking to yourself, Pastor Dennis, these are discouraging times. There's, there's war about to break out in the Middle East that could usher in World War III. Uh, inflation is rising. There's, there's all sorts of problems going on in our communities. Are you trying to tell me that, that this time is not uniquely discouraging? And to that I will tell you no. Just read a little bit of history. You'll see that God's people have always faced discouragement. It's something that's universal. It's something that's recurring. And so what Paul has to say here is not only profound, but so necessary despite whatever age you're living in. You can always go back to this passage and find hope and comfort from the Apostle Paul. So those are some comments that I wanted to make up front. But notice last week we said uh, Paul showed us specifically some things that help us to be encouraged. The first is this. Paul says that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not a prisoner of Caesar. That Caesar doesn't control me. Caesar, Caesar doesn't tell me what to do. He doesn't, he doesn't have me in a prison that I cannot break out of. Uh, ultimately, Christ is sovereign and Christ's hand of providence is on me. And even, even beyond that, the promises of God sustain me. And I hope that's the case for you. That if you're experiencing discouragement, look to Christ. Because ultimately, it is Christ's providential hand in your life and the promises of God that sustained you in the midst of discouragement. But Paul doesn't stop there. He gives us three more things, and I will look at them in brief. The first is this. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So this is the second one. I said first, but this is the second one, the gospel. How do we see the gospel as a source of encouragement to the believer? If you look in verse number, look in chapter number three, I want you to look at the word mystery. It, it occurs three times depending on the Bible that you have for, if you have the ESV. But the word mystery there is profound. What does he mean by a mystery? For the sake of time, I'll cut through it. 
Here's the mystery that Paul says that we could draw from. Notice verse number six. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So how is it that the mystery of the gospel serves for all of us to be an encouragement amidst discouraging times? Write this down. It's the doctrine of justification by faith. That's what Paul is pointing to. Because notice what the fruit of justification does. Paul says, it has made the Gentile fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. So for Paul, he says, if you are struggling in your faith, if you are, if you are struggling with discouragement, what's the first, what, what's something that you could do? Paul says, look to your justification. Now pause for a moment. There, a vast majority of us around here know the Bible, and we've been around the Bible, and we've heard this before. Pastor, of course, justification by faith. We should, we should believe that we have been declared righteous by God. That's no surprise. But have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question, why does the Apostle Paul constantly go back to the gospel and justification by faith? Have you ever thought for a moment why he uses that as the chief rubric? to deal with all discouragement in our lives. Here, here's the point. And this, is, this to me was profound. And this isn't new to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't get this. I would have never gotten this had it not been for one of my favorite dead authors, uh, um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I said dead, dead authors. You know, the problem with living authors, this is just an aside, the problem with living authors is you read after them and then a year or two later they denounce everything they've written. I don't have time to read your books and then you like disavow everything you've written. So I just stick with the dead ones because they can't disavow what they've been written. Now, now hear me. Here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and this is powerful. And he says, this is why if you're discouraged, you ought to look to your justification. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones struggled his entire life with depression and discouragement. His entire life. Godly man, loved the Lord. Some of you have read his sermons and listened to his sermons online. His entire life, he struggled with discouragement. And here's what he said. He said, I always go to my justification. Because in his mind, discouragement is a deceptive feeling. But justification is rooted and grounded in what's real, in what's true. If, he, if I could say it differently, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, discouragement is a feeling or state of mind that robs us from the truth. It robs us of what is true of us. But yet, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, justification is that legal declaration that grounds us in reality. Now think about that for a moment, because that's powerful. Think about what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying. I, I remember um, several, many years ago actually, when I was learning how to fly, um, when, whenever you learn how to fly, those, there, there might be a pilot here, you know this to be true. Whenever you're learning how to fly, one of the things they do is they put, they put um, a blindfolds on you, a blindfold on you, and they, they'll stall the aircraft. In other words, they'll put the aircraft in a stall, and the aircraft is doing all sorts of things, and then they rip the, 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 you know, the blinders off of you, and they tell you, don't look outside and pay attention to what's going on inside. Don't trust your feelings. Look at your instruments. Because you see, your feelings, right, will lead you astray. 
What you think is happening will lead you astray, but the one thing that will never lead you astray is the instruments. Because the instruments always tell you what's true. And what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying that's so powerful is this. When you feel discouraged, don't listen to the voices that are in your head. Don't listen to what's happening around you. Don't look at what's going on around you. Instead, look to what you know to be true, and that's what Christ said about, says about you. And this, you can apply this in all sorts of ways. There's, there's many of you out here today. There's many of you out here today wrestling with your faith. You're caught in a sin or your sanctification has been slow. And you've told yourself or you started telling yourself, there's no way I'm a Christian because I'm struggling too much. There's no way I'm a Christian because I have all of these doubts. And what Martin Lloyd-Jones would say and what the scripture says, more importantly, is this. Look to your justification. Don't listen to that voice that's telling you you're not a believer because of what's going on around you. Notice, notice something else. Let me apply this in a different way. There are many of you sitting down here, you've experienced failures in life. Or you right now you're going through a hard time where you've had failure after failure. Maybe it's in your job or maybe it's some area of your life. And you tell yourself, wait a minute, self. Look at all the failures I'm having. Look at all the ways I'm not measuring up. Maybe, maybe I, I don't need to be here anymore. Or maybe I need to move away from where I am. But the scriptures tell us, look to our justification. That's what Paul is telling them here. The mystery of the Gentiles now is that they're fellow heirs, members of the same body, and more importantly, partakers in, of, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Don't listen to the discouragement in your heart and in your mind. Reject it and instead accept what Christ has said is true of you. And that is you belong to him. Now, you might be here and you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, I'm not a believer. So I can't even accept what Christ has for me because I'm not, I'm not even saved. Then I would say the very first thing you need to do is trust Christ. Because if justification by faith is the source by which you're encouraged, if you are not a believer, then you're cut off from that very source of of encouragement. And this works in almost every area of your life. Look to your justification. Secondly, look to the church. Notice with me in verse number 10, Paul says something. I, and last week, I fully intended to preach on this. And I said, hold on, Dennis. You don't understand this well enough to preach on this yet. So I needed an extra week to really study this. Because notice what Paul says in verse number 10. Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ that he gets to preach and proclaim. Then he says something about the church that's supposed to stand as a source of encouragement to all people. Notice in verse number 10, he said, so that through the church, and I want you to underline that through the church, that's going to become important a little bit later on. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. What does he mean by manifold? Circle out if you're taking notes and write this down. Manifold simply means the, the, the multifaceted, the brilliance, the, the extreme nature of the, of the wisdom of God and what it could do. He says that the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. Uh, okay, let's part. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? 
That's such a powerful verse. In essence, plain talk for a moment. Paul is saying this. When the angels and the demons look at the church, they see the wisdom of God being played out toward eternity. Pause for a moment. It's right now, angels and demons are looking at us and marveling, marveling at what's happening here. Marveling that people are being baptized. Marveling that people are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, think about that for a moment. Uh, look even in this text. What, what is so marvelous about the manifold wisdom of God? Paul says here that, that Gentiles and Jews now are a part of the church. Now, you and I have no context for that. We, we read that all the time in Scripture, and, and we have no context for that. Okay, yeah, Jews and Gentiles, we're all now in, in the church. You look around, everybody's in the church. Let me, let me put it so that you and I can truly get it. Imagine a congregation loving and serving one another that are equal parts Democrat and Republican. Are you, are you getting it now? Or imagine a congregation, equal parts, of, Israel, of Jews and Arabs loving and serving one another. Are you getting it a little closer? Think of two groups of people that are diametrically opposed for, of, from one another right here and right now in the same congregation, loving and serving one another. How is that possible, Paul says? It's because of the manifold wisdom of God. Let me tell you, there's nothing more powerful in the life of any church when you see people who were once opposites of one another together serving God. And not just that, but their lives are completely changed. I, I was in the coffee shop. I went to the coffee shop yesterday to, to uh, prepare and think through a little bit more my sermon today. And, I, and I, immediately as I sat down, somebody looked over at me and says, hey, Dennis, how are you? Now, that's not strange in and of itself. But, but we started talking, and about two or three minutes into the conversation, maybe four, I still had no idea of the person I'm talking to, which happens to me a lot. And so, and so I'm talking to this person, they're talking to me, and I finally asked the person their name, and they, they told me their name, and I still had no idea who the person was. And as we continued to have the conversation, he started telling me his testimony. And, and as we were sitting there, he told me, he said, God gloriously saved me. I was, I was in prison facing um, a, a lengthy sentence, but God completely delivered me. And I was sitting there. Now, look, when I hear testimonies now, I've been a Christian long enough that when I hear testimonies now, in general, they don't like completely shock me. But I can tell you I was completely shocked by this one. Because just if you look at this person, you would have no idea the work of grace that had been done in their life. But here he was sitting before me, telling me his life story, telling me what Christ has done in his life. And I was completely blown away how God had delivered him, given him an education, and now he's going into the ministry and he's an educator at present. I was completely blown away because you had no idea that that, that was the case for him. And brothers and sisters, it's the same with you. The manifold wisdom of God is this that he can take things that are completely broken and completely separated and bring it together within the life of the church. 
And, and I can give you examples of the, after examples, marriages that was on the ropes where people already had divorce papers in hand. But somebody says, please just go and talk to the pastor or go to church. And through the experience of being in church, God brought them together. Now, look, it doesn't always work out like that. And I understand that. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit too Pollyanna, she's saying, Pastor Dennis. And maybe it is. Or maybe it isn't. You see, one of the things that Satan always tries to do to each and every one of us inside here today is make us believe that the gospel, the power of God, cannot work even in the most difficult circumstances. That the gospel can't bring together Jews and Arabs. You, if, you talk to a, if you talk to a Jew during the time of Paul, right before Christ came, it would have been impossible for Jews and Gentiles to be in the same space, worshiping together. That would have been impossible. They would have said, you're crazy. That can never happen. And now look at Paul saying this. Listen to me, Christian, because this is important. This is why the church matters. Because the church is the vehicle by which not just this world is instructed, by God's goodness and grace, but all of creation, the devils and, and the demons, uh, the demons and, and the angels. All of us see the glory and majesty of God happening in the life of the church. And let me say this, this is not in my notes, this is free. You know, I've been a pastor now for 10 years and I've heard everybody under the sun say the same thing. Oh, you know, pastor, you don't need to be um, a Christian and, and be a part of the church. You don't need to join the church. You don't need to go to church. You can be a Christian and not be a part of the church. Or you could be a Christian and you can go out into the woods and you could serve the Lord and, and so forth. Now, I understand what people mean by that. But, but, but hear me today. If you had said that to Jesus or any member, uh, any writer of scripture, they would have no idea what you're talking about. They would not. They would, they would look at you like, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean that you can have a, a Christianity outside of the church? That, that wasn't a category for them. To say that you can have a Christianity outside of a church is the same as saying that, that a child, you know, taking a child out of a, out of a home and saying they're part of a loving family. It's not the same. A child who's not a part of a family, what do we call them? An orphan. So what is a Christian outside of the church? An orphan. Listen, God, think about how, how Paul elevates the church in our lives. He says the church is so important that the church is the primary vehicle by which God instructs the heavenly beings. Listen to me, Christian, and non-Christian. You might be here, you might not be a Christian. Listen to me because this, so, this is so important. We need the church. Yes, I know the church is not perfect. Yes, I know the church is full of sinners. Yes, I know the church messes up. I get that. I'm a pastor. Of course I know that. I'm not telling you something I don't know, but look at how Paul elevates the church. Understand, Christ died for the church. Christ will come again for the church. Therefore, the church is important. There is no Christianity outside of the church properly understood. Now, I know some of you would push back on that. Some of you would say, Pastor Dennis, no, that's not the case. Then argue that from Scripture. Because everything you read in Scripture, how do you practice your spiritual gifts outside of the church? Look at all the one another's that are in the Bible, that are in the context of the church. 
How do you properly love people if it's not inside the church? How do you practice church discipline outside of the church? Who's your elders if you are outside of church? There's so many reasons why the Bible gives us that the church is important because it gives the manifold wisdom of God. And so don't neglect the church. Don't neglect the power of the church and what it does. And it should be an encouragement to us just to come here and worship together. All right, let me get back to my notes before I get in more trouble. Um, and, and by the way, I say, that, I say that knowing this. Many of you have been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. There's many of you out here that have been hurt by the church. So please, I'm not saying that church doesn't, church is the perfect utopia. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying this, don't go to the opposite extreme and saying we don't need it. Because when you read scripture, it's clear. It is the vehicle by which the angels, the demons, and the world sees the powerful wisdom of God in bringing, those toge- uh, bringing people together who were once far apart. Now, let me end with this. Notice prayer. Look at verse number 12, or 11. Paul says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What is he talking about? He's talking about this. Look at how prayer, the power of prayer, serves as a blessing against discouragement. Now, in brief, let me simply say this. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15, one of the things you recognize is this. Jesus had unprecedented, unprecedented access to the Father, and he gave that unprecedented access to you. Do you realize that? In, in the prayer, in, in the Lord's prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, he says, look, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus had that access. And what does he do? He gives you that access as well to the Father. So that if you're in the midst of discouragement, you can go to the Father as well. And find relief as a result of it. Uh, listen, if you read through scripture, specifically the New Testament, what do you find? Do you realize Jesus experienced discouragement? He did. There are many examples of this, but but one thing that discouraged Jesus often is the faithlessness of the people around him. Think about that. Think about all the signs and wonders he did, and over and over people didn't believe who he says he, he was. Or when Jesus looked at the people and he said, these people look like sheep without a shepherd. Constantly Jesus was discouraged. But notice the scriptures tell In other words, he didn't, He didn't stay there. Why didn't he stay there? Because he had access to the Father. And beloved, in Christ, we have access to the Father as well. And what happens when we go to the Father? Jesus says so in Matthew 12, 20. He says, a a bruised reed, sorry, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. What does that mean? Think about the power of God's word and what that means. It means simply this, and this is the promise. That at the times when you and I feel most discouraged, at the time when we feel most down, God, through prayer, God will breathe into our struggling hearts encouragement to build us up in the midst of whatever we're going through. Now, what's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is simply this. 
We live in discouraging times. And I know there are many of you that are sitting out here that are discouraged for any number of reasons. And I don't know the reasons. Some of them I probably guess and I know through talking to you. Some of you, I don't know what you're struggling with, but what you're discouraged about. But hear me today. Go to the Lord. Because he alone has the power. He alone has the ability to encourage our discouraged hearts. I myself have been, as, as your pastor, I have, I have experienced discouragement in so many different areas of my life. And I could tell you, this is anecdotal, but it's still true. That when I go to Christ and I pour out my heart before him, he hears me. And I know there's nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about me. I'm, I'm one among a billion of people on the planet. But the promise of the gospel is this. If you are feeling discouragement and you go to Christ, the promise of the gospel is that he will hear you and he will heal you. Father, I don't, I don't know what um, our people are experiencing in terms by way of discouragement. There might be one or several here that are discouraged about a whole bunch of things, maybe even church or maybe some aspect of their life. Father, I, I pray for them that they might flee to you as Paul encouraged the people in his day to find their source of encouragement in Christ, in the gospel, in the church, and in prayer. And may we do the same today regardless of what we are struggling with. Thank you for the church and how through your manifold wisdom we see you working. In Jesus' name, amen.